Welcome to G5 Football Daily, the official audio accompaniment to our coverage on SI's Fan Nation Network. Happy to jump into uh, some notes from the CUSA slate of action we got in the midweek this week. Going to jump into it with a host of guests. But first, we're going to talk about FIU and uh, the loss to UTEP with uh, someone that you all have grown to know uh, over the course of the several iterations of this podcast over the last five, six, seven years, however long it's been. I've completely lost count. But Eric Henry, who's uh, done G5 football coverage with me, Joe Londrigan, for a long time. And uh, Eric, we're jumping into it back again for the first time. Is that what is that what it is? I, can, I can't even remember at this point. It, it's the ludicrous album back for the first time. That's close enough, Joe. Okay. We've done so, done so many podcasts together. I do not blame you for... Uh, you know, being a little uh, lost at the amount of hip hop lyrics I've thrown your way, Joe. But as I've said, uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you for allowing me to join you in this uh, platform. And, you know, I feel that people have come to know us over the years and for our banter and our, our just kind of, you know, our stick, so to speak, you know, our, our, our slapstick humor. So, I, I, Joe, I just want to throw something out at you, non-G5 related, not football sure. related. Um, sure. You are someone who has a significant other and, and you're, you're happily married and, and you and your lovely wife, Sam, always, you know, you guys just partner with each other so well. I mean, for those of us who have the privilege to see you guys on social media and others, it's just, it's just a, such a lovely partnership. And I'm attempting that now, Joe, and I have to go to a Halloween party uh, here in, in Austin. Sure. And, uh, I've managed to get out of all of the, the couples themes because they're not my thing. But I, I just need to ask you, Joe, as, as yeah. a bald black man, who, who am I going <laughs> Am I going as DMX? Am I going as LL Cool J? Am I going as, you know, just which insert bald black celebrity am I going as? You tell me because that is who it's going to be. Oh, man. If I if I was you, I might have to do the black turtleneck with the gold chain and go ah, as uh, okay. and do Suge Knight as the, you know, the okay. Death Row Records okay. portrait. Okay. I'm, I'm not mad. Joe, that's a unique one because I've gotten Terry Crews. I've gotten like everyone else. I'm not mad at that one because that's that's a unique one, Joe. I like that one. I, it was it was to the point where I was just going to order overalls and yeah. uh, and a bucket hat and do like you know early '90s LL Cool J. But uh-huh. I'm not, now you just give me an idea. I'm not mad at that, Joe. Okay, good. Got one past the goaltender, so to speak. I I, I did a reference. <laughs> <laughs> what what was the 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 ludicrous lyric? That's not a chicken and beer, is it? Um, back for the first time was the name of Ludacris' album, but no, that that is it, it's it's the one first, of his early the, albums. The first one, Chicken and Beer, is a couple was a yeah, Chicken and Beer is a couple couple ones down. Yes, but okay. I'm surprised, Joe, that you actually know Chicken and Beer. I you know, man, my hip hop knowledge is like weirdly specific. There are huge gaps in it, obviously, but every once in a while, I'm good for one or two. So, uh, uh, un- unfortunately, we know, and I will let you introduce him. Our <laughs> guest does not know chicken or beer because he is all of like eleven, and uh, he's not old enough to drink, so he shouldn't know beer. By the way, but I'll let you introduce him, Jeff. Oh my gosh! All right, first of all, we're going to introduce somebody who's a part of the uh, G Five Football Daily team, who's done a fantastic job covering FIU and uh, their football exploits over the last few months for us. Hopefully, you've gotten to know his writing if you listen to this podcast. It's Kevin Baral, but Kevin, as obviously you can attest, you don't understand half the things we're saying when we're talking about pop culture references from when you weren't born and we were in our formative years of 13 to 17. Yeah, I have no idea what you guys just said. <laughs> just start to finish. Uh, but I do want to thank you guys for having me on. You know, I always listen to you guys and love the work you guys are doing. 
Oh man, of course. That that's that's so odd. I feel like it's, it's rare we get to interact with the youths to the extent that we get to interact with Kevin and hear his take. Hang on, Joe. Can we just get it out of the way, Kevin? You were born in two thousand five or two thousand six? Two thousand five. Oh God. Okay. We just need to get out of the way, Joe. <laughs> Young man, college student, talking college football with us today. But but Kevin, you're obviously very present within FIU's football program and everything that they are trying to accomplish this year. Uh, one year removed from the actual hiring of Mike McIntyre and everything that he's brought to the program in terms of energy, in terms of culture. Uh, you know, we saw them. You know, take a step in this FIU game this past week, obviously they lost. But one of the things that I said on the last episode that Eric and I recorded was, I think this is ultimately going to be a test of whether or not FIU has indeed taken a step forward since Mike McIntyre was hired. Based on what you've seen thus far, do you feel like that step has been taken? Do you feel like this FIU team has taken a step forward since Mike McIntyre came in? I would say yes and no because the defense certainly has improved. And Eric, you were there last year. You've been there for a couple of years. I mean, this defense this season has been arguably one of the better ones in the past couple of seasons, maybe we could say. Um, Jovan DeWitt, a lot of credit to him. He's done a phenomenal job. They go from that 3-4 defense that they started with last season, they go to this one. And and when we were talking to him in spring, uh, Coach DeWitt, and he, he was saying just, you know, now it's time to finally fill out those patches, make sure we know who we want in what position, and it's worked. They forced a turnover in every single game leading up to that game against UTEP, which they ultimately lost and did not force a turnover. Donovan Manuel has four forced fumbles. He is tied with, I believe, two FIU players. Now they're slipped out of my head who they were, but they're tied. he's tied with most um, forced fumbles in a single season. One more puts them at the top of that record book. And, I mean, just aside from that, the defense has been great. No real complaints. This was, and we'll talk about the U-type game. This is the first time they've truly struggled, and fatigue is a big part of it, and we'll get into that later as well. But I think where they really haven't taken a step is the offense. Um, we just just look at this. You know, you, you can look at box scores, and they look pretty good for the most part. But if you look at the second half for FIU, third and fourth quarter, they've just not been good. That's the simplest way to put it. Besides this UTEP game where it kind of was vice versa in the, four, in the first half, they just couldn't get anything going. And then in the second half, it's kind of where you saw the offense get going. They weren't able to do – they haven't been able to do that all season. You go back to the game against um, Maine. They did not score in the second half. They did not score against UConn in the second half, I believe, or even a touchdown. And then in the same, same thing with the um, New Mexico State game, they were not able to score in the second half. It, it's just been a struggle for FIU – to kind of make adjustments, I guess, going from that second to third quarter and moving on. And that's where I don't see a step moving forward. Um, quarterback Kiwan Jenkins obviously has looked good for the most part. We'll talk about him definitely because suffered an injury against New Mexico State, suffered another one against um, UTEP, and he's had his up and downs. Obviously, he got he, he's a guy who's used to winning, so this is this is definitely weird for him. And you know, he's he's had his up and downs. But aside from that, I mean, you you got to be pretty happy where you're at. You got off to a three and one start. Um, unfortunately, oh, and four in the conference right now. And um, your next couple of games are definitely going to be some big tests. You have Arkansas in a couple of weeks. Then you have uh, Jacksonville state. Who's been one of the surprises of conference USA. We've been one of the teams that have, I have actually enjoyed watching. And then you have finally uh, Western Kentucky who has Austin Reed. And that team's been 
maybe the second best in conference USA behind Liberty. You know, you mentioned Donovan Manuel, and obviously he brings a significant presence to that front seven. You also have Avery Huff in there and that linebacking group as well. Uh, have you noticed anything significant about the development of that group in the last uh, several weeks or so in terms of what they're actually adding to this FIU defense? So specifically with Huff, he doesn't play as much as I guess you would like to see him play, but he when he is out there, he's making an impact and as well as on the special teams. He started off um, playing, I believe, inside and has moved to outside linebacker, something that McIntyre himself mentioned just you know, he's the fastest linebacker on the on the team in, the, in that linebacker room. And for him, he wants to he wants to rush the quarterback more instead of just dropping back, something that uh, Huff mentioned he did more at the University of Miami where he transferred from. So that's the one thing I've seen from him. Donovan Manuel is just – and it's funny because – and this is something – This is the, I, I want to make this his new nickname, Pac-Man. That's what Coach McIntyre calls him. He calls him Pac-Man. He's always moving around. He's getting these tackles everywhere and then obviously he's forcing those fumbles something that this FIU defense as a whole just hasn't been able to do in the past couple of seasons and this and this year they forced a turnover in every game leading up to UTEP so something nice to see there in that linebacker group other names to mention Reggie Peterson you have Elijah Anderson Taylor two guys who've really been good uh Kyle Wright has also been getting a lot more reps he's been on the depth chart as well so just two other names there three other names to mention it's it's a group that's really been developing and and when i and entering the season that was one of the groups i was really looking at because just how much depth they have and eric has been there for a while he could kind of make the same assessment that this is this is probably one of those spots where they have a lot of depth at and you know we'll talk about the other spots but really linebacker group definitely one that is worth mentioning and how good they've been this season this utep loss from this past week, we saw UTEP get that running game going right to that point where they really like with Deion Hankins. And, you know, as you kind of hit on, they burned so much clock. It was really hard for FIU to actually get back in this game and establish that presence that they wanted to. Um, any other notes from your end from this UTEP loss that, um, you know, in, in your opinion, FIU needs to build on to get past well, this point? First, you have to mention, you know, UTEP was going with a four-string quarterback here, and that was, I believe, the name is Chase McConnell. He, this was his first career start. He had made an appearance last week for UTEP, but this is his first official start, collegiate start. He went for, he threw for 262 yards, two touchdowns, 11 completions. This guy absolutely burned FIU. Um, wide receiver Tyree Smith was also out, so Tyron Smith. I'm sorry, so they have to rely on other guys and. I'm going to butcher the name. Uh, Kelly Akahari, I believe is how you say it. He went for 223 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, this guy absolutely burned the cornerbacks. Uh, the, the first one was a 80-yard pass from McConnell to him, and it was um, Hezekiah Masses on the coverage there. It was more of a man-to-man type thing is what was explained after the game. And then same same situation, uh, just a 20-yard pass and same player. It was Derek Daniel on the coverage there, so just, you know, UTEP really got it going offensively and they did go, they ran the ball a lot, but I will give FIU credit in the second half of that game. They only gave up 31 rushing yards compared to 108 in the first half. And I want, and for most of that second half, uh, UTEP had negative yardage, so uh, negative rushing yardage. So big props there. The one thing I will want to, I do want to mention is Kiwan. He, he did sustain a knee injury towards the end of that game. It was on the fumble at the end there. He was down for, I, I believe like two to th- almost five minutes. And, he got up, he went to the tent, and 
right now, they, when, you know, post game, nothing was really said, just it's a knee injury. Don't know much. We'll find out soon. Uh, he, and this has been kind of the thing for the last two, maybe three weeks, mainly noticed in that uh, New Mexico State game where Jenkins just held the ball on for too long. That's something that I asked McIntyre. He said something you just has to look in the film. He has to see what to do there on that end. But um, this was the game where Jacob Peace made his return. He was out. Now you had your full offensive line. He's been sacked five times. So, and, and that really, you know, despite the poor production in those last two games, because he's been now sacked five times in back-to-back games, um, he it, it's also him holding, attributes to him holding the ball for too long, trying to find that open man instead of just trying to throw it out in the area, obviously, so you don't get that intentional grounding. And that's the one thing I'll mention there. FIU's run game has looked pretty good. I, I'll give them that in the first half, at least. Shamari Lawrence, then you have Keyjohn Owens, a Miami Central product as well, just like Jenkins. Um, Owens had the touchdown and then Jenkins ran it up for the middle at the one yard line kind of felt like the second half for FIU was a lot better offensively they had also that um onside kick which I don't think anyone saw coming they tried to, and and McIntyre you know he said we got it but we kind of screwed ourselves over because we couldn't get anything going after that and that's where they really did struggle so I mean, aside from that, this was a must-win game for FIU. If you if you look at it, just if if you know you try to go to a bowl game, you already had three wins. You you would be able to beat UTEP, and you still have uh, Middle Tennessee out there in Sam Houston, who you face next week. That those could be your final three wins, and you're in a bowl game. But uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. They're going to have to go through a harder path, and uh, we'll see what happens. But it was definitely a tough loss. FIU's defense just. I mean, once you go down 21-0, just in the first half itself, it was kind of difficult for FIU to kind of play catch up there and. That's kind of what the I guess you could call that. That's kind of the key to the game there. They couldn't just they couldn't play catch up. It was it was just a tough night overall with the Vice night. You had the Rolls Royce, you had the Lambos, the McLarens, the, the new field, the, the Vice jerseys, and ESPN two game with the Goodyear blimp out there. So, you know, all ruined by a, a UTEP team that was just playing a lot better than FIU that night. Yeah, it was certainly an interesting marketing push by FIU, and you know, hopefully they kind of continue those efforts. It's it's a lot of fun to see fans uh, get excited about that program. But uh, before I turn it over to to Eric for you know his line of questioning here, Kevin, what was kind of the most significant thing from Mike McIntyre's assessment of this game that you heard from you know being present for that post game presser? They need to score more. He said today in college football. You need to score 30 points if you want to win. And FIU just hasn't been able to do that much. I I think they haven't scored 30 points except that game against uh, Northwestern, Northwestern, North Texas, which was, I believe, week three for FIU since it started in the week zero game. They haven't scored 30 points since then. They scored 17 against Maine. They scored 24 against UConn. They just haven't reached that 30-point marker this season. And that's been the big big issue for for McIntyre and – you just mentioned, obviously, that he, he's very concerned with the offense. He said it himself, something that's very concerning there, especially the pass protection, uh, not buying Kiwan Jenkins enough time to make something happen. And when he does hold on to the ball too long and when he is given an opportunity, uh, everything just breaks down. That's that's something that I mentioned that really stood out. And then another injury note is um, CJ Christian, who at the moment, I believe he already, already has three interceptions on the season. He's been great. Tore, tore his labrum last season, four games into the year against uh, New Mexico at New Mexico. And this time around, just um, he, he went to the hospital. It is uncertain what the injury is. And so his is his status. But I mean, FIU played pretty well in the second half. I'll give him that. But aside from that, just tough night overall. Um, good game for Adrian Cole, who had eight total tackles. 
and uh, 1.5 for uh, total tackles for loss. So, you know, nice to see him get it going there. And the one other thing I'll mention is just it was a very physical game. And and he was in McIntyre was asked about this towards the end of the presser. If do you if he thought that UTEP was just more physical than his team? And he said he doesn't think that was the case. He just thinks that Utah played the better game. And obviously, Hankins and um, Burgess Jr. had a great game. They got it going right in that first drive, scoring, go, going right down the field, just running it, running it, running it. And that's really what screwed over FIU. And um, this is a team that's struggled against run. Team that's just, you know, that's that's the big thing on the defense right now. They've just struggled against the run. And tough for them to make tackles, too. That's also been a big thing, too. There's They struggle to tackle for the most part. And um, in that second half, they really – we're able to clean that stuff up, but when you're down 21-0, it's it's really difficult. And your offense having a lot of three and outs, it, it really fatigues the defense. Kevin, I'll pick up where Joe left off terms of the questioning. FIU lost four starters in last year's offensive line. Shamar Habdili, Lindell Hudson Jr., Julius Pierce, Jamar Sylvester. How have they fared trying to replace those guys? Well, um, you could say through the first couple of weeks, they looked actually pretty good. They brought in John, obviously John Box is a returner, Jacob Peace you have there. They brought in Travis Burke. And then you have, I believe, oh, Philip Houston. Um, that, you know, the, the O-line looked pretty good throughout spring as well, throughout fall, through, you know, and, and then just these past two games, it just kind of feels like everything broke down. Obviously, John Bach had the, the thumb surgery and Jacob Peace had a knee injury. I'm not going to say exactly the term because I'm not sure if that was what McIntyre said. I was just re- looking back at what he said in the press conference. I'm not. It was either MCL or PCL, but it was a knee injury for Peace, and he made his return. Those guys haven't been playing too much since their return. Obviously, Peace didn't play every single drive. Bach was kind of moving around the offensive line. He played some right guard, played some center against um, the Aggies. So that's been the big issue there. But for the most part, the offensive line has been good. I mean, I, I got to give them that. You look at box scores before New Mexico, and it's maybe one or two sacks at most. And I think against La Tech with Grayson at quarterback, it was zero sacks or or one. So, I mean, it's just a matter of now you're back, you're healthy. Now let's get that offensive line back going. And and that's been the big thing. And I do agree. I mean, they lost some big pieces. But, you know, just talking through leading up to the season, they kind of felt like they were a closer group. And, And obviously it kind of shows, but. These last two games have just been a disaster for them as a group. I, I mean, I would have to look back at the last time an FIU quarterback was sacked back-to-back game five times. Kevin, I'm going to stay with that theme. As you mentioned, the Panthers got up to a 3-1 and one start. You know, really, I think, kind of exceed expectations. I believe Las Vegas had them in line for four wins, but the last few weeks have been a struggle. Uh, like I said, going to have some names here. So in addition to the four players I mentioned – Tyrese Chambers landed at Maryland. Eric Wilson Jr. landed at Temple. Rivaldo Fairweather landed at Auburn. Ethan Bernadell landed at Stanford. Uh, who else we got here? Andrew Volmart landed at Louisiana Monroe. Joe Perkins, I believe, is at Jackson State. Demetrius Hills at Illinois. Uh, let's see how many more we got here. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's 11 total. Jacoby Hewitt's at Alabama A&M. How much has FIU been hurt in terms of depth considering the fact that they lost 19 players from last year's team to the portal? Yeah, they've definitely been hurt. Um, for the most part, the wide receiver depth is the one that has impressed me a lot. Uh, I know you mentioned the loss of Chambers, which that's huge for FIU considering he was their top guy the past two seasons. 2021, he had a crazy season. 2022, he was injured for a little bit, but for the most part, good. They, you know, Chris Mitchell's really turned into that wide receiver one. Um, when you look at 
who Kiwan usually targets. And you'll look at this since Kiwan has arrived to FIU or made his first start and moving on. He's been targeting Mr. Chris Mitchell, uh, eight targets last night. Um, and that besides that, just he's been the guy. It's been the Kiwan, the Chris connection. That's all I, that's what I call it because that's what it is. Whenever you need a big play, Dean Patterson, who I know had a big game against Middle Tennessee Air, we were there in um, 2022. Uh, he, he's been great. Whenever you need a big play, he's the guy. They brought in Memphis transfer Eric Rivers, who had a great spring, had a great fall. He had a freak hand injury. He had to wear a pad on his hand for the first, I believe, first game or two. And ever since then, he, uh, the playing time for him has increased a lot. I had a great game against um, UTEP last night. And um, they've been really good. Ross Fournette is another name to mention out there. Uh, I, I believe you mentioned Rivaldo Fairweather is one of the losses, too, which he went to Auburn. Um, that that group looks really good. You have Josiah Miam and Jackson McDonald getting a lot more playing time. Then you bring in Rocky and Rowdy Beers, uh, one of the better names in, co- in, um, in college football there, the Beer Brothers. Rocky's playing a lot. Rowdy, obviously, freshman. He was injured towards the end of camp, was not, has not been playing. But that group has been a lot better. And, you know, one thing that um, offense coordinator David Yost looks like he wants wants to implement more and as well as McIntyre is the fact that they want to use the tight end more. They want to bring in multiple tight ends into their system. You look at that first game against Law Tech and moving forward, they've had Jackson McDonald and Josiah Miaman on that field for almost, 90, um, almost every single play. And we saw it with the Shamari Lawrence run right up the middle against Law Tech. And I'll go that back. Because that was now that just showed that finally the two tight end system is being used at FIU, and that was a big thing when you had Miaman and Rivaldo Fairweather, who obviously you know his size and and how good he was for FIU, got in that spot at Auburn, and he's been really good. And defensively, you mentioned the loss of Demetrius Hill; they had to make some additions there. Devere De- De- Daniels really stepped up at you know he's now starting. CJ Christian, as I mentioned, had the torn labrum last year, came back. He's been really good for FIU, both of them with um, a pair of interceptions thus far in the year. Then uh, you mentioned the linebacker group. Uh, we spoke about that. Donovan Manuel's been great. They brought in Avery Huff, a uh, University of Miami guy. They brought in Elijah Anderson-Taylor, who was the MVP for, I believe, the Sky Conference. I, I believe that's the name. Um, he, he's been really – you know, he played a big role during spring and, and fall. He's been really good there. So they've – you know, obviously there's still spots that you would like more depth defensive line is one of them devon strickland no longer there he graduated so they brought in jack daly who's been a really good addition for fiu fitting into that 3-4 scheme that that uh, dewitt's running there so um when it comes to just the depth it, it looks pretty good it could obviously be better because they brought in so many transfers uh you, you kind of thought things would be shaky but for the most part this is a group that has been you know they're close they, they get along very well and it, it obviously translates on the field, especially how good the defense has been. I mean, that's and I can't stop emphasizing how good that defense has been, aside from these last two performances. And you could even use fatigue, you know, with the offense having so many three and outs so quickly getting off that field. That's something that they've struggled with. And if I use, I, if I look at the stats right now, they'd be they may be one of the worst teams when it comes to time of possession. They're on and off that field really quick for the most part. So. I give a lot of credit to DeWitt. I, I do hope he gets a coaching job soon. He definitely deserves it, how good he's been. Uh, just, you know, transitioning that FIU defense to a 3-4 in just two seasons perfectly. The Panthers, an offensive scoring, averaging 19.7 points per game. It's 117th out of 133 FBS teams on defense. They're allowing 27 points per game. That is 80th out of 133 FBS teams. Kevin, last one for me with seven, excuse me, with five games left. 
FIU schedule lines up like this. They head to Sam Houston, uh, right outside of Houston, Texas, uh, to take on the Bearcats. They head to, excuse me, Jacksonville. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They do head to Jacksonville State. That's going to be a, a, a tough contest. I'm looking, I want to make sure I got that right. Jacksonville State comes here. Jacksonville State. State. Okay, yeah. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. So Jacksonville State will make another trip to FIU, of course, the Gamecocks picked up their first ever FBS win over the Panthers in 2020 in the COVID year under then head coach John Gross. Uh, FIU hits the road, heads to Murfreesboro, Middle Tennessee State, Arkansas, and then closes the season with Western Kentucky. What needs to happen to constitute a successful season for the Panthers in the next five games? You need to win some conference games, Eric. Right now they're 0-4 in the conference. All four of their losses this season have come to conference teams. Uh, UTEP. New Mexico State, Liberty, and LaTeX. Those are their four losses this season. Um, you you would want to beat Sam Houston. Uh, you would love to beat Middle Tennessee. Uh, when it comes to Arkansas, it's, it's coin toss, really. They, they haven't been good this year, but obviously it's an SEC team, FIU. No offense to them. They really don't have much of a chance against them. And then last but not least, you have Western Kentucky, who I know LaTeX was pretty close and had, had a close matchup with them. And aside from that, just – they're they're the second best team in conference. USA. I don't see FIU really beating them. Uh, you just have to win within the conference. It, w- it would look nice to your record if you finish five and seven. Especially, it's a one win improvement. And uh, I, I mean, it'll look really bad if you don't win anymore. I mean, it, it'll show. And, and kind of where Joe started here, did FIU take a step forward? I think they would take a step back if you lose. Uh, if you go three and nine to end the season. Fantastic, guys. Uh, Kevin, let people know where they can find you on social media here. Yeah, you can just follow me on Twitter at Kevin underscore Barral. It is B-A-R-R-A-L. I know that's confusing for some. And uh, you can just read my work at SI, uh, G5, and uh, where it where you see all of Joe's work. And um, aside from that, I do my own podcast as well for FIU, Positive Podcast. Uh, if you want to check that out, we do previews. We talk FIU, all FIU athletics, whoever's interested in, you know, just outside of football. So, Yeah. Kevin, who are the kids listening to now that we need to make our references more current to? Bad Bunny. Eric's not going to want to hear this one, but Drake. Um, <laughs> what else can we throw out here? Fetty Wap, those type of people. Fetty Wap's so popular? Okay, that makes me he's, he's, you know, he's here and there. I'll, I'll tell you this. I don't listen to that type of stuff too often, so I can't tell. I can't give you the clear answer. I'm more of like a, you know, like a rock, pop, like that type of stuff. Okay. I like jazz. I played in band for a couple of years, so I can't give you. I know Bad Bunny's the thing right now. I know, I know Drake is still a thing. Sorry, Eric, but yeah, those are like the main two I can one hundred percent give you right now. Joe, before you jump in, really quick, I, I just want to address this right because uh-huh. you know Kevin said the, the, in terms of Drake, right? Just want to address this. So Kevin was born in two thousand six, right? Right. Drake was born October twenty fourth, nineteen eighty six. Yet he is fancied by people who are 18 and 19. That's enough said for me. <laughs> oh, man. That's fine. Kevin, the young man covering FIU football for us, doing a fantastic job. Hope you all will cover it. Uh, hope you all will follow him, rather, uh, as we continue to do the G5 football coverage. Kevin, thank you so much for your time today, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course.
for this next segment, we're going to jump into it with someone who knows the Liberty Flames better than just about anybody on the internet. But Eric, since we last recorded with Kevin Burrell, I understand you have an update that you wanted to share with the audience. Yes, I've got an update on the uh, the much ballyhooed Halloween party costume that I, I have to go to and attend. Um, I, I was going to try to do the Suge Knight deal, Joe, like you said, and, and it, it just wasn't enough in terms of like timing. So the overalls have come in and it is, in fact, 90s LL Cool J. So just give you the heads up. That's that's the wrong way. <laughs> not, you know what? That's not a bad direction to go either. Can't be mad at it. <laughs> For now, you just have to do like LL Cool J every year, but like a different version of LL Cool J. Like one year, you're just going to be NCIS, and it's just a like <laughs> t-shirt. Joe, I didn't even think about that. I only considered like the overalls and the gold chain version, but now you're telling me that I've got layers of this. So now this is just like an excellent uh, choice here. But before we get too uh, down the rabbit hole, I'll let you bring in our esteemed guest. All right, LL Cool J has the deepest lore in American pop culture history, but that's the subject of another conversation for another time today. We're talking about the Six No Liberty Flames with Emily Austin. If you've uh, been following us since we launched this podcast a few months ago, you heard her a few weeks back talking about uh, the Flames season that was then upcoming. Now we're in the thick of it. Uh, Emily Austin, good to have you back and excited to talk some uh, Jamie Chadwell, Kobe Singleton and company. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. You know, speaking of Halloween costumes, before we get into some football talk, Last year, I was Veronica Corningstone, and I don't think I can up that. So I may never dress up for Halloween again because that matching suit combo and that hair, you know, like flip over old school do was pretty epic. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to how I'm going to top that. (laughs) Emily, once you have one great Halloween costume, I feel like you got to just go out. You got to walk it off right there. Right. That's I'm kind of in in your camp. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So. I'll see, but um, probably not going to happen on my end. <laughs> you know what? It's a good philosophy to have. You just got to, you only need this one good one, and then people remember that for, for the rest of your days. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's interesting that we're moving so quickly through the season. Um, but, you know, this most recent win for Liberty, where they took out a 5-1 and one Jacksonville State, a very good Jacksonville State team. Emily, what were your takeaways from that Liberty win against the Gamecocks? Well, I just think you saw a lot of grit. It's, um, it was a really tough turnaround because Liberty had Sam Houston uh, come here to Liberty on that Thursday. So then you're like taking such a quick turnaround to get ready for such a fast pace, like fast tempo team offense with and Jacksonville State on a Tuesday. So Jamie Chadwell did uh, stay here Monday to get another practice in. So they didn't even get back or get back to the hotel and, um, you know, in Alabama till like one in the morning. So I was a little concerned about like, okay, what kind of energy level are we going to have? And in the first half, Kane Salter just looked out of sorts and wasn't making great throws. And, you know, Jamie Chadwell admitted it after the game, like we needed to get him in a rhythm and we were calling plays that wasn't allowing him to do that. So I think that. That right there just shows you not only is the coaching staff not just pointing at the player or the player pointing at the coaching staff, they're recognizing, like, how to make each other better. Okay, what do we need to do to get Salter and a rhythm? And you could tell what, you know, they made the right calls from then on because Salter just went off in the second half and um, Quentin Cooley's run, you know, he just is – we call him the bowling ball here on the mountain and – he just completely pounded the run game uh, for the Flames with a career high game. So it was just, it was just really good to see. And then this defense, I mean, 
you're you're really nervous, you know, in these situations in the fourth quarter, but Liberty has the best fourth quarter defense in the nation. Um, you know, they lead the nation in interceptions. So every single time I see a ball being thrown, I think, oh, that's going to be an interception. And it's like, just it's just a, a cool to see these guys grow because this is a very young defense, not a lot of playing time returners um, on this defense. So overall, it's just been really, really cool to see. But I think that Jacksonville State game just showed you, you know, they were physical and they had that grit to get through that quick turnaround um, of a schedule. I guess that kind of leads into my next question, and uh, it's a two-parter. How do you personally like this midweek schedule that CUSA is adopting for at least part of this year? And, you know, how would you describe how the coaching staff has altered their preparation methods, if at all, for this type of schedule? You know, I don't think that you can really sit here and complain about it if you're the coaching staff because you're getting national attention for your program on national TV. But, um Would we choose it, you know, as like a coaching staff and probably players and and reporters and and just a community in general? Because when you think about it, not as many people are going to be coming to your community on a weekend and spending money in restaurants and hotels and all of that. So that I think just personally, like, wow, that can't be good for a community. But at the same token, you know, Liberty, they have a great fan base, unlike a lot of other um, schools in this conference that. You might not see as many – I mean, Jacksonville State had a great uh, turnout. But, I mean, Liberty, the, the, the stadium's packed on a Tuesday, Thursday night. So, um, I think we're very fortunate in that sense. But, for me, I'm a very routine-oriented person, and I'm just so out of whack. I just feel swamped in, like, the weirdest times. And, um, you know, it's good and bad, but – when you're winning and you're 6-0, and I guess you can't complain too much. That's a very solid statement. If you're 6-0, and I think uh, there's not a lot of, um, what do you call, people feeling sorry for Liberty fans at the moment anyway. Uh, but, you know, Emily, we talked about the Jacksonville State game and uh, kind of the challenge that they presented there out of the way. As someone who has perspective of, of being so close to the Liberty program and, and seeing what they've done so far, what do you think of how the rest of the league is shaking out as far as, you know, the 2023 title race goes? I think it's what we thought with the exception of Jacksonville state, you know, their preseason ranked uh, seventh in this conference and, you know, Rich Rod has those guys playing really, really well. Like that is a tough football team. You know, when you look at that game, I believe both of their quarterbacks went down with the injury. I'm not sure their second string guy. I don't know. It was an undisclosed injury. So, you know, they had their third string true freshman in the game. Their uh, leading rusher Malik Jackson was out part of the game so there were some factors in that game that could have changed and you know Liberty was fortunate to be tied at 10 going into the locker room so at the half so you know there but but then again guys like it's so ridiculous that Jacksonville State isn't eligible to play in the conference championship game so or like uh, they're not gonna get a bowl unless you know whatever the, the other team's don't qualify, which I think is the stupidest rule when you look at Jacksonville State and JMU and how good those teams are. But with the side note, like I think it is what we expected it to be. Western Kentucky and Liberty are shaping up to be the top two teams in the league. Um, And then you have Jacksonville State there, like I said, but it, it doesn't feel like as close of a race because they're not eligible to play in that conference championship. So that October 24th game, Liberty on the road at Western Kentucky, I don't know 
how well people like this whole midweek games, but I guarantee there will be a lot of people tuning into that game on Tuesday, October 24th, because that will basically be the biggest test for Liberty this season. Hard to argue with that. You know, when you look at how the G5 teams that are currently undefeated, there's not many, um, are preparing for the second half of the season. Typically, at the end of the year, if there is an undefeated G5 team left, it's typically going to be the one that gets that near six bit, right? Uh, we saw Tulane make it there. Of course, they weren't undefeated, but being the highest ranked G5 team, that's where they ended up. Uh, what do you think is the biggest obstacle in front of Liberty from winding up in a position like Tulane did last year? Yeah, I think Western Kentucky is their biggest obstacle here on out, but um... – you know that every that, you know now everybody has their number. So everybody wants to beat the Flames, and um, other teams might think that they have a, a shot. You know, if Western Kentucky drops a couple or if, uh, Liberty drops a couple, but you know, you look at like some of these other undefeated teams, Group of Five, and we have Chris Vanini with the Athletic on quite a bit on our pregame show, and you know, Liberty fans are upset that they don't have you know that he doesn't have a Liberty ranked. And stuff. So I think the biggest obstacle aside of Western Kentucky is Liberty's weak schedule. You know, like they, when you really think about it, they don't play anybody really tough the rest of the way. I, I believe it's ESPN that has the best, um, gives Liberty the best odds to finish this season undefeated, which is great and all. They should, if they do, and they win a conference championship, I think Liberty will get a pretty good bowl game. But at the same time, we haven't really played anyone when you look at, you know, records or, um, or just like, you know, strength of schedule from that, um, from that point, in my opinion. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out in about six weeks' time. Eric, what, uh, what questions do you have for our former CUSA media compatriot here? It's <laughs> an excellent way to put it, Joe. Uh, Emily, I just want to start, come back to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, how good is Kobe Singleton's uh, lot of CUSA uh, fans might not be familiar with, of course, Liberty just joining the league. The Singleton, who started his career at Southern Utah, is now with the top defensive back for the Flames. How good is he? He is so scary good because of his maturity. You know, like uh, Jamie Chadwell talked about it after the Sam Houston game. Sam Houston had eight opportunities inside the 15-yard line to score and win the game. And Kobe Singleton was on the other side of two, maybe three of those plays, almost had an interception on one end of the end zone. And then on the other side of the end zone, he deflects the pass that could have won the game for Sam Houston. And it is just – and he had a, um, a flag on him, a PI on him like a couple plays before. And back in the day, Kobe would have gotten all in his feelings about it and, and like frustrated, and he just shook it off and he just went on the next play. And that maturity of just turning to the next play has really shown, and you can tell by, you know, how many times he's worn that Joker mask this season. And we want to kind of stick with the Conference USA theme, but just ask as a whole, how are Liberty fans and this the fan base kind of um, adapting to and enjoying being part of a league after being an independent for all these years? I think they like it because, you know, before, and we saw this with Hugh Freeze a couple seasons, um, straight like after you become bowl eligible it's like okay what are we really playing for you know we're already bowl eligible so yeah we have all these other games on the schedule but there were you could kind of see there was a drop off 
and the players. And when there's a drop off in the players, there's a drop off with the results and um, and stuff on game day. And then of course fans aren't going to be huge fans of that. <laughs> so I think it just gives the guys something to continue to play for, trying to win a conference championship, and that just builds rivalries. It it builds that competition, and the fan bases can have like build their own rivalries with these like fan bases from um, their opponents now. So it's, it's and not that we didn't have them with like, let's say Virginia tech when we played them and some of the other bigger schools when we were an independent. But I just think when you still have something to play for after you become bowl eligible, I think not only for the players and the coaching staff, it does something for this fan base. But like I said earlier, Liberty's so fortunate with its fan base because the students show up, the community cares and, um, you know, like the the players know that they every single time you speak to them in a media atmosphere, they're talking about Flames Nation. So I think that it just has been really cool for the um, for the fans to have something to to look forward to in playing for a conference championship. Got two more, Emily. And we'll get you out of here. And you talked about the fact that you know, kind of wondering what the team's been playing for. Well, as someone who has covered. Three out of the last four Liberty Bowl games, they usually been competing for a trip to Florida, twice in Orlando and once in Boca Raton. But Emily, I want to ask you this. Who, who's someone on this team that, you know, the greater Conference USA audience might not be thinking about or might not be talking about that we should be talking about? Brylan Green. He's a multi-sport athlete. I'm not sure Coach Chadwell is going to be very fond of him putting on a baseball uniform in the spring. However, this kid – leads or I believe he leads the nation in interceptions. I could be wrong in that. I need to look back. He might be he might be tied for third now. But um Brylin Green, this he's a young player. I believe he's a sophomore. Can never take I can never remember now with everybody with the COVID stuff. But um he is electric. He had an interception this last game against Jacksonville State. He was like on the opposite side of the field, runs over like he's playing center field or something, and makes an interception to stop a drive from Jack State going into the half, and they were about to get the ball back coming out of the second half. So it was a huge momentum shift for the Flames in getting that victory and getting the momentum back on their side. But Brylin Green is – and this is taking nothing away from Kobe Singleton – but this safety, I mean, this kid can play, and he is young, and he's a great, even better kid than than athlete. Um, and then, of course, you have Caden Salter. You can't you can't ignore his talent and what he's been able to do um, learning this offense. He, you know, there was a battle going into fall camp, and he spent the most time watching film, and and you could just tell that he wanted to do whatever he could to win this job and how he has developed under this staff with such a difficult offense to learn has been really, really rewarding for, you know, to watch for somebody that, you know, saw him go have an up and down season the last uh, couple years. And when you look at his numbers and you average out his numbers, he could beat out Malik Willis, you know, current second string Tennessee Titan quarterback, he could beat out Malik Willis when it comes to numbers and, and records here at Liberty University. So that's just how special Caden Salter has been within this offense. Like you, Emily, the COVID year still trips me up, but you nailed it. Brylon Green is a sophomore, and he, he okay, does, in fact, <laughs> yeah, he does, in fact uh, lead, the, lead the nation interceptions. actually tied. I think it's a seven-way tie here, but nevertheless uh, is a top the leaderboard in interceptions. So, 
the final question for you, Emily, and for listeners who are just getting used to this incarnation of Joe and I's podcast, probably didn't hear Emily and I's uh, conversation in the previous incarnation. Both of us are uh, Tampa, Florida natives and, and uh, old high school classmates. So I'm going to end it with uh, a oh, Tampa yeah. question and uh, a restaurant question for you in, in Lynchburg. So the first part of the question, Emily, uh, if you can have one meal, and I'm limiting you to these two restaurants back in Tampa, it's Burns or the Columbia. Which one are you taking? Oh, 1,000% Burns. I'm a steak kind of girl. Give me a, I, I always say filet mignon, but I know it's filet mignon, but I love me a filet. So I'm going Burns all day with maybe not, I'm doing double carbs. I'm doing double potato. Like give me okay. some mash, like cheesy potatoes and fully load that bake, baby. <laughs> okay. Okay. Listen, I am not. Clearly, not though, clearly my wedding diet has gone out. <laughs> <laughs> For the audience, Emily was just recently married, and she's a clear, as she said, that a wedding diet, it's out the window. That's what she's, uh, what she's rolling with here. Uh, for anyone who makes it to the Tampa area, Burns is a, is a legendary steakhouse in the South Tampa area. Highly recommend that, and the uh, dessert room as well, which is actually my favorite, nevertheless. Um, Emily, uh, if for people are making their way to Lynchburg, what is a uh, establishment you'd recommend? A good place for you to go is Fratelli Italian Kitchen. F-R-A-T-E-L-L-I. So it's this beautiful Italian restaurant, downtown Lynchburg. And then you can shoot up to the seventh floor in the same building downtown. And it's called Seven Rooftop. You can see the entire Blue Ridge Mountains, the James River. It's a great place for, um, you know, drinks and, and apps and, and great food in both spots. So there's live jazz music and all that. It's the, it's the must-go-to spot here in Lynchburg. Joe, I could turn this into a Gaither football podcast where I'm asking Emily about the 2007 season with, with John Chestnut and Carlton Mitchell. John Chestnut! But I, 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 will, I will not, <laughs> Joe. I will pass it back to you to close oh, this Oh, man. Fair enough. Emily, where can uh, folks find you and your work on social media? Yeah, on Twitter, you can follow me at Emily Austin TV. Austin is spelled A-U-S-T-E-N, Emily Austin TV. And then on Insta, at Emily Austin, A-U-S-T-E-P-E-N. Awesome. I'm sorry, T-E-N. I don't even know how to spell my last name. <laughs> <laughs> happens to the best of us. All right, Emily, thank you so much for your time. I know people are going to be uh, checking out your stuff as Liberty continues through the season. And, uh, you know, who knows if they uh, keep playing this well, we might have you back a few more times. But thank you so much for your time. Yeah, of course. We'd love to come back on. Thanks, guys. Thank you. so much for listening to the g5 football daily podcast uh if you want to check out uh our stuff just google g5 football daily uh if you haven't checked out the written work on the sports illustrated fan nation network uh, we do stuff every day uh if you want to follow me on social media i'm at j-o-e-h-i-o underscore eric is eric c henry underscore uh you can go back and check out the handles for our guest today thank you again to kevin Burrell and emily austin and uh hope you all enjoy week seven we'll be back next week with two more episodes to uh continue this adventure that is the 2023 g5 college football season happy football watching everybody